Welcome to the Tech Arena, featuring authentic discussions between tech's leading innovators and our host, Allison Klein. Now, let's step into the arena. Welcome to the Tech Arena. My name is Allison Klein, and today I have a very exciting guest with us, Sean Grimaldi, CTO and co-founder of Vector Zero. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you, Allison. Now, I usually have folks introduce your themselves at this point in the program, and your introduction is unlike any other that I've ever had in terms of background. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and, and talk about how you got to Vector Zero? Sure. Coming up in my career, I worked at a couple of tiny companies, and then I went to Microsoft, which was just getting going building a database called SQL Server. It was really felt entrepreneurial, and I enjoyed just trying to reshape the industry. And that was clearly the goal to democratize data and really change that whole landscape. And so I wanted to be a part of that. It was exciting. I really enjoyed that and bringing shareholder value. It was an exciting time. When I was at Microsoft, I had seen some people who were trying to, malicious actors who were trying to hack SQL Server and other products that I contributed to. And some of them were just trying to get access and maybe get data and leave. But other ones were remarkably sophisticated and they were trying to establish persistence. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I want to learn more about those kinds of threat actors. And in general, they were largely attributed to just be state actors. So when I left Microsoft, I went to CIA and CIA has unique legal authorities, including they can take actions as directed by the president that include things like offensive cyber. Mm -hmm. So that was a world I wanted to be a part of. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of it for 13 years. Then after Microsoft and after CIA, I felt companies were really in a predicament. If they didn't apply great cyber hygiene and keep everything as secure as possible, a lot of pundits or pe people could say they haven't done their part. But then on the other hand, the experience I had at CIA was when companies do their part, it's very hard to stop a nation state actor who's motivated. So mm -hmm. what I wanted to do at Vector Zero is give companies and organizations a chance where if they at least did the right things, they would have good odds of retaining control of their data and processing. And that's how I ended up at Vector Zero. Yeah. So it's such an interesting background. And obviously you've had a, a front row seat to see how bad actors have evolved over the last 15 years. being from Microsoft with SQL and obviously SQL being an incredible target for a number of nefarious characters. And then at the CIA, obviously protecting the nation, you've had some views on what bad actors from nation states or independents are doing, how they're attacking, et cetera. What is the focus on Vector Zero based on that collective experience? And what do you think you're doing unique in this industry to provide protection for enterprises? I think that what we're doing that's unique is being comprehensive. So today in cybersecurity, there's so many point solutions and we're asking companies to integrate these many different point solutions together into a cohesive kind of defense. And it's just 
overwhelming. It's really hard to do. That the, many of the point solutions have different kind of scenes and end at different parts. And to not only stand that up into a coherent, broad solution, but to keep it operating and maintained securely in out years, it's really challenging. So what Vector Zero is trying to do is create the you know, very high security solution for the company's most valuable data and processing and make that maintained very well. That's where I've seen people go wrong is that even if they can stand up something really secure, as the team moves around or the talent shifts to new projects, AI is exciting, for example, then the quality of their cybersecurity begins to erode. So I think that was something we wanted to do is get that to be a scale problem where we could work on it for many companies. And each company didn't have to acquire the expertise and retain them themselves. One of the things that I've spent a lot of time on the show talking about is the development of the edge and companies looking at much more distributed computing models where you really don't have a way of protecting your compute infrastructure, your attack vectors. How do you think about that? And how are you talking to customers about how to deal with that? I think about it as for our company, we're focused on cloud and cloud edge. Mm -hmm. And so we extend beyond cloud edge. People have talked to me about satellites, for example, doing protection of processing and data inside of satellites or inside of missiles or inside of airplanes. But where we've drawn the line is with cloud edge. And it's remarkable to me how much we have to trust just blind faith today. Like how few systems we can validate with uh, cryptographic signatures. I believe that most things we're just trusting, like components within an operating system. A lot of those are like, for example, I think Linux, the last time I looked was something like 25 million lines of code written by people from all over the world, from many different walks of life with different motivations. And then you just blindly trust one signature for that whole work, that whole operating system. So to me, it, it became like, how much of this can we verify with cryptographic signatures and controls and make it more like an engineering exercise instead of a, a trust-based exercise? I don't think, I don't want to say you shouldn't trust your cloud providers or anyone else who's a service provider, but I just want to give people more ability to verify that trust through cryptographic and kind of math and engineering rather than through policy and lawyers. How do you see things like confidential computing fitting into this and, and getting to a hardware root of trust in those environments? I think it's essential because as more and more workloads are moving to the cloud, you want to trust your cloud provider, obviously. And they, as an ex-Microsofty, obviously I have a lot of faith in what the big fang companies can do. But there are also a lot of people there, right? Many of these companies have many thousands of employees that are contributing code every minute of the day, all the time. You know, if we can get cryptographic signatures from the CPU all the way up through the bootloader and the firmware, the kernel of the operating system, the workload that that individual customer is running and the data sets, you're beginning to change the discussion from, I trust the cloud provider entirely 
to, I trust a cloud provider and can verify a lot of the things they're saying. Today, most of the major CSPs are making it much easier to get these kinds of measurements and attestation documents to prove and make it verifiable their claims. So I think that's essential. And I wouldn't be surprised if over time that attestation of how do I trust this particular server and all the servers in this line of business to make that will become, I think, more and more important. And I can start to see that with some of our customers as well. I've been following the security arena for as long as I've been in the tech arena. And one of the things that we talk about is that the bad actors get more sophisticated, the security solutions get more sophisticated, and there's this kind of stepping uh, forward that has happened over the years. With generative AI, obviously, it's given tools to folks who may not have had the sophistication to actually start implementing attacks on organizations. Is this a asymptotic moment or a disruptive moment from a security standpoint? And what is the response to use AI in an equal fashion to protect? Yeah, I think you're right that a few months ago now, I a lot of the encryption today people think will possibly be uh, broken through quantum computing. So there is an effort underway um, to collect information that's encrypted today with the idea that it can be broken with uh, confident with uh, quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Maybe not today, but maybe it'll be cost effective to do that in a year or two. One of the things that's always been an impediment is just how hard it is to write programs for quantum computers. A couple months ago, I used one of the big language models and I tried to get it to help me write a quantum computing program that would factor large numbers and break standard encryption. And what was interesting was that if I wouldn't have had the AI there to help me with that task might've taken me months. It might've been a really hard problem because I don't know a lot about quantum computing languages. I've never created my own language, for example, or my own filer. So with the help of the generative AI, large language models, I was able on a Saturday morning to get pretty close. And then I ran it in an emulator on the Google cloud that emulated a quantum computer. It was really interesting to me. And I think that the offense is obviously becoming much stronger. The malicious actors, it's becoming more and more accessible. The time between an invention and when it becomes exploited will be faster and faster. But on the other hand, on the defensive side, like something Vector Zero is doing, is we're using machine learning and pattern recognition to not just look at drift, like what has changed in the infrastructure from the prescribed infrastructure, not just what's drifted, but what seems unsuitable. For example, if IP address were to become public and we're trying to get to a point where our AI models will say that's not reasonable and we don't believe that any of these IP addresses should be public. So to uh, automatically adapt. And I think Gardner and other people are starting to call that moving target defense, where the AI can trigger an event and say, this is suspicious, take action on it. And then our environment, for example, our infrastructure will automatically reconfigure to attempt to mitigate that finding. So I think that AI 
will work on both sides of this equation. And like you said, it, both sides will get stronger and stronger. But uh, people who rely on very manual processes or aren't able to keep pace will, I think, just be uh, brutalized by some of this. And that brings up a, a, my next question, which is, I know that you talk to a lot of companies about their security um, and the state of their security solutions. We know that <laughs> IT's top priority is security. It comes in every survey that you read every year. Security is number one. Maybe performance will battle ar around that. But security is always top of mind and prioritized for investment. Yet we continue to read in the news year after year, month after month, data breaches, denial of service attacks, all sorts of challenges that companies face on the daily in terms of attacks. When you talk to customers, what are the things that you think are the gotchas in terms of what the average company's security stance is versus what state of the art is, and, and what would you recommend for a, a chief security officer to be thinking about in terms of uh, modernizing their security solutions? In my opinion, I see a lot of people who are just overwhelmed. There's so many things happening at once, and there's so many responsibilities like retention and our compliance and just meeting the needs of the business and now AI. And there's just so much coming in at once. It's hard to take a moment and prioritize it and say, this kind of data and processing is fundamental to our business. If it were, if the integrity or confidentiality or availability was not present for this type of processing, it would change our relationship with our shareholders uh, dramatically, probably very negatively. Whereas this other type of data, this other type of processing, it might annoy some people. Certainly they're going to get annoyed. If, for example, something that happens a lot here is there's really heavy traffic around Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have traffic maps and you can go in the cafeteria and see a traffic map of just all red. But I think that kind of data is, it might be a convenience for employees to have. But for example, the data that's most valuable to a company around their intellectual property, or for example, their AI model and decision-making models, all these things, whether the data is taken or whether they're changed in place, that they could be corrupted or altered without the uh, owner necessarily being aware of that, will majorly affect the decisions and effectiveness of the company in the marketplace. To me, a really good first step for people who are responsible and accountable for the security is to begin to separate data and processing in this two different types. What's existential and what's mm -hmm. you know, convenience. The intelligence community does this quite well because they tag data as like top secret or for mm -hmm. example, they're unclassified data. I, I don't know that as many corporate entities are as good at tagging their data and separating it into uh, these two different buckets and then treating them differently. The data that's a convenience, it will get compromised. Uh, it will get taken and altered by third parties. I don't think companies can stop that. But the data that's fundamental to what is this company about? What value do we provide that's unique in the marketplace? The, that sort of data 
I think needs to be segmented and processed in a different, more secure infrastructure that's much more secure than just the convenience data. Today, most, many companies I see treat those as just like a, I have a lot of data, I have a lot of processing and it's mildly overwhelming, <laughs> but don't segment it that way. You've been at Vector Zero for a little over a year and a half at this point. When you look back at that year and a half, what are you most proud of accomplishing and what do you want to accomplish with the company in the next year and a half? Uh, one of the things that it really excited me as a someone who develops software and high security software was just, could we do it, right? Like some of the things we're trying to tackle with um, automated moving target defense and uh, confidential computing, some of these are really innovative technologies that are emergent and developing rapidly. Something I'm really proud of is that I was able to bring together a team and make a software product that provides um, probably some of the best capabilities in the world for extremely high security workloads and get that to work quickly. It was something I always wondered, could I make that happen with not nation state size budgets? Could I get it to happen quickly? Um, so I'm really proud that did work. And now that's available to customers so that they don't have to try to recreate that themselves or piece together all these different solutions in a coherent way and maintain it. Something that you can just find someone who's an expert in it and we can do it for you. I think that's something I've been really interested in. As I've worked with the intelligence community more and more as a member of Vector Zero, I really do believe that we can create a new state-of-the-art. Uh -huh. We can create a world where there's strong attestation across servers in a line of business, where encryption is makes it so that even if someone does compromise your processing or your data, and they, for example, change a lot of your processing, that we can detect that and we can make it so that companies can operate more freely by using encryption as a stronger control. With confidential computing, something that, that wasn't obvious to me at first was that the current model of encryption security is that if you're in a fairly high security environment, even like a corporate laptop, you would probably keep it encrypted at rest. HTTPS is ubiquitous now. I think all the browsers will admonish you if you're not using it. Encryption in transit is ubiquitous, but the encryption and kind of isolation and processing and in memory is the third leg of that stool that's been missing until now, or has been not as, not in full operational mode. I think that over the years in the future, this will become the norm that everything will be encrypted in use. Everything will be encrypted in transit and everything will be encrypted at rest. To me, that kind of adds that defense and depth that's really a pillar of zero trust and makes it much harder. Even if you can break into a system and you want to, for example, exfiltrate data, when you get it out, it's going to be encrypted. It's really hard to, to get past that. So I think that's a area where, where we want to accelerate that and not make it a, a, a 10 or 15 year goal. I think we want to make it like a, um, for companies that want to achieve that to make it more like a 
at least for their sensitive data, more like a, a week or two goal instead of this really long duration. That's something that excites me personally. I, I would love to see that even if a malicious actor broke in and took all of your data, they can't get the keys and they can't. Nice. Sean, it's been great talking to you. I would love to talk to you about all of the bad actors that you foiled while you were at the CIA, but I don't think you're going to answer my questions. So I'll just ask one more, which is if folks want to engage with you and your team and learn more about Vector Zero Solutions, where would you send them and how would you like to be engaged? There's the VectorZero.ai website, which is a place you can learn a little bit more about us. But I'm on LinkedIn. I read it pretty much every day. I follow a lot of people and I have a good bit of followers on there as well. And I would love if people would just reach out to me directly with their comments. If there's, I feel like it's an, a way I can learn more about what's going on. Recently, I've been interacting with people working on satellites and I've learned more and more about satellite security. So I just would like to help where I can. And if there's things that are interesting or where I could help, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would appreciate it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It was real joy. And I loved learning more about Vector Zero and you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining the Tech Arena. Subscribe and engage at our website, thetecharena.net. All content is copyright by the Tech Arena. 